Nobody gets hurt This little 22 Leaves hearts in the dirt You better hide Before you learn You know you're done Welcome back to the Rage Rowdy Podcast. Woo. This episode today we're here at a Rinky Dinks in Amity yeah. with Jackson Gardner. Thanks for having me, Nick. I appreciate it, and um, we've developed like a friendship. So cheers, yeah, cheers, man. Over the yeah. past couple months, absolutely. We've been Thanks. talking with Jackson a lot since I've been starting my thing, and we'll get into what he's been getting into and starting mm. and making big here. And we're from around the same general area. Um, yeah. But before we get into that, let's talk about this room we're in. Let's talk about Rinky Dinks. This room is unreal. It's got this. I mean, you can feel it, like being in here. Yeah. It has this weird energy about it. I this is where I cut my teeth. So I back in people that are watching, they can see we're in like a dance hall, <clears throat> and we're sitting on the stage. But back behind the dance hall, there's a bar. It's closed off during the week, and you can probably hear people and they're drinking, and getting rowdy. Shameless plug. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but there's a pool table back in there, and this bluegrass band called the Weed Rags used to come in on Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday nights. I couldn't remember. And I live two or three miles up the road into Rough Creek. And I'd come down on Wednesday nights and sit on the pool table, and I was just like long-haired Justin Bieber haircut kid with my little guitar. Uh, I was like 17 years old, and I'd sit back on the pool table on Tuesday nights and jam with them. And then after like a couple months, Span Rough Creek brought me in to open for them in this room, which was like that was like making it big. Yeah, yeah. But like you know, like Hank Jr.'s played here, and uh, John Anderson and David Allen Coe, and. Being a kid that grew up in Rough Creek and then jumping on this stage, like, this was big time. Yeah. Well, I mean, this whole room's made of, like, old wood, and it sounds just absolutely unreal. It's a real live honky-tonk. Like, this This is, is, when you think of, like, honky-tonk, this is exactly what you think of. Yeah. Yeah, Whitey Morgan loves this place. Nice. And, like, I don't want to speak for anybody, but when he came here, I opened for Whitey Morgan, and he was just, like, blown away by this room. It's great. It's freaking sweet. It's freaking awesome. And I've had it explained to me, but, like, nothing does it justice until you're here. No. And, like, on days like today, it's it's like being at like a theme park in the middle of winter yeah because when you're here when like john anderson plays or you're here like on a night when rough creek's here and it's packed then it's like a whole different vibe it's like full of people and lively and you know there's all this energy and then you're here and then you know it's a what is it a what day is it uh it's thursday Thursday. it's thursday (laughs) and there's not really anybody here and it's kind of quiet and you know, all the lights are off when you get here, and it's just kind of desolate, which yeah. is weird because it's like two polar opposites from yep. day to day, it's, which worlds. is interesting. But yeah, it's got some spirits for so, sure. So let's talk about growing up down the road here, Rough Creek. <laughs> so <laughs> spelled R U F F, by yeah. the way, Rough Creek. And uh, just basically, when you started getting into music and the kind of music that you were into growing up, and who influenced that, you know, in your family, friends, stuff like that. Well, we grew up on a farm on the hill down here. and I mean, I grew up on a lot of different types of music. A lot of it was country. My grandfather on my dad's side was always listening to, like, Larry Sparks and old bluegrass in, in, his, in his car and uh, that kind of stuff. And old country, Randy Travis, and all the old old guys. And then my dad loved Jimmy Buffett, took me to Jimmy Buffett concerts and Jim, Jim Croce and all that stuff. And uh, he loved, like, um, some of the old hairband rock and, you know, Chicago my mom was like worship George Strait for years. We actually, when my parents were still together, we went to like rodeos and stuff all the time. Okay. So I was into a lot of the cowboy music, Crystal Ledoux, <clears throat> some of the earlier Garth Brooks stuff. Um, 
so like the old country stuff was always a big part of it like back before it got like homogenized and became like some of the 90s stuff i was into but you know my stepdad listened to i remember driving around with him he was listening to like old Waylon, which was the first time i had ever been introduced to like the real outlaw guys i'd yeah. heard it but i wasn't old enough to understand what you were understand what i was listening to. it just blew my freaking mind <laughs> you know and my my grandfather on my mom's side was a professional motorcycle racer and i used to hang out with him in his shop while he was building bikes um in his shop and he always had like old rock on and i just remember hearing the stones whenever i was sitting there in his shop just just sticky fingers and exile and those just we actually built a bike together this past fall awesome. and it was like going back in time because he has the same radio station on it was playing the same music <laughs> you know we're building this old classic honda cb and sticky fingers is playing in the background you know like honky tonk woman and different just this old stones music and credence and it was yeah that'd be great moments man yeah that's cool but you don't realize how poignant they are till you get to be like 25 that's it exactly yeah and then you're playing that music live and you realize how like special that really really was especially with a lot of the shit that's out there today and you think about like growing up on that stuff how lucky you really were so let's talk about musically for you uh, when you started getting into you know playing as opposed to just you know being a listener so let's talk about you know, why you started picking up the guitar and kind of go from there <laughs> i've never actually really got to tell this true story we talked about this yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny because you always end up in a publication where they want to make it a sound bite or something that sounds specific you know yeah. or it's the best story for paper but um i always really loved music and i used to like go home every day because i was not a cool kid by any sense of the word. I was really introverted. I still kind of am until I warm up to people. And I'd go home and I'd sit on the counter at my mom's place and I'd just put CDs in and I would just listen to them, old ones, new ones, whatever, um, and just for hours and listen to them. And I, I'd obsess over them. And I really just loved music, but I was pretty lazy and I really had no motivation to do much of anything in my life. Um, so I just would listen and hope that maybe magically I would wake up a guitar player. And then one day I was sitting in class. I can't remember what class I was in. I heard this girl talk about this girl that I had a super big crush on who was super hot say, I just need to find myself a guitar player. I love guitar players. Guitar, every guitar player I've ever known is hot. And I was like, well, I should become a guitar player, right? <laughs> if that's what it is, like I can kind of sing maybe a little bit. These people have told me that. Hey, man, that. <clears throat> yeah, thanks, Dan. <laughs> just, I don't know where. I don't know where to put this. Anyway, that was my drummer, Dan, by the way. So, <laughs> Flamingo. Kate's going to love this. That's totally this on is, brand. This is uh, Izzy, the Flamingo. Last Flamingo I had was one we used to drink out of. Yeah, I did a whole <laughs> skit on that one time. I have a video of that. Remind me to show you. All anyway, right. <laughs> so this hot chick, I heard her over say how much she liked guitar players, and I thought, yeah, I should learn to play guitar. I love music anyway. Like, would it really be that big of a waste of time? So that was kind of the thing that went ding. And then I went home that day, and I had this old guitar that my dad had bought me random instruments over the years. I'd played trumpet, like, in marching band and that kind of shit. And, and uh, I walked in, and I had this old, like, Samick beat-up guitar. <clears throat> I was, like, holding it. And the record I was really into at that point in time was Keith Urban's Love Pain and the Whole Crazy Thing because he did all that, like, Mark Knopfler-style lead guitar, and I thought that was, like, a really great record. And yeah. I'm not really into that sort of thing. I liked Keith for a long time. Like, I loved his old stuff, especially that record. I thought it was really good, and I was really obsessed with those guitar parts. I was like, I walked into my brother's room with this guitar, and I said, I think I'm going to teach myself to play guitar. And he looks at me and goes, you're never going to do that. 
So I guess it was women and like sibling rivalry yeah. of how I got into Proving music. Yeah, but then I got obsessed with it, and it was like I didn't even really care about girls at that point in time. <laughs> Once I got obsessed with it, because it was five six hours a day just sitting in my room until somebody yelled at me and told me I had to turn the amp off or put the guitar away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's pretty much how it happened for me. It was just that's obsessing awesome. over it for hours after I had the motivation to actually pick it up. Yeah. So we'll talk about. So you were here, kind of playing here, playing in this room, playing around the area. Mm-hmm. And uh, when did you put out your first music? I put out a record when I was 20 called Four Fights to a Pint, which didn't do so well. Um, I think for 20, like for a 20-year-old songwriter that wrote all the stuff by himself and like co-produced it, like it was pretty good maybe for a 20-year-old, but yeah. it was not, not good. Um, <laughs> so you know, I took that down after a few years of it being up, but... <laughs> I put that out when I was 20, and I was a CMA emerging artist, which was kind of cool, but I really had no idea what I was doing. You know, I had no clue. I had no clue. Uh, But I was just trying to swim with sharks, but I was just kind of like a goldfish that luckily did not get eaten alive. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Absolutely. So, and and it was fun, and people here responded well to it, and I had a song called I Can Lie To that did, like, really well regionally, and people would come here and sing along to it, and... That was fun, but while it lasted. (laughs) And then I woke up one day and went, oh, that's so bad. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's part of growing. Yeah, yeah. Figuring out what makes you. You evolve, like, in whatever you do, and you have to learn that that's part of the process, you know. Luckily, um, people seem to uh, understand that. They're forgiving, especially they, when you make a good product. Some, that. Yeah, I think if you people don't care what you did bef- yesterday as long as what you do today is good. That's absolutely it. And they don't care what you did today if it's bad. If what in what you did yesterday was good, they're going to judge you based on what you're doing in the moment. Yeah, you know, so. absolutely. So let's talk about your journey to Nashville. So you'd moved to Nashville. Let's talk about like when, how long you were down there, that kind of what you moved down there for, things like that. It's kind of a complicated question because like. I don't even know how to really explain when I moved. I mean, I really moved there full time like a year ago, mm-hmm. but I've had a place there for four or five years and had spent 30 to 50% of my time there all the time writing and playing and networking. So I had a really good community. And I, I tell a lot of young people now that ask me about that is like, I don't necessarily think you need to be there anymore because of the internet. And I think the music industry's changed a lot and you know what Nashville's like. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a high concentration and I think that that's yep. important, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's as important as it used to be because you can really There's, see where the bar is no matter where you are. If and you're you paying can, attention. you can see the kinds of music that you're into and you can listen mm-hmm. to it. You can hear it. Yeah. You, you can, can really dig. There's no similar minded yeah. via online and things like that. Exactly. And they, they tour everywhere now for the most part. Yep. I mean, if you're especially here and it was really, I can't speak for everyone's, um, experience but i know like dan and i you know i've known dan for 20 years but as good of a musician he is and, and where i've ended up at skill level and and where we've kind of all ended up in the band we were all here we got that experience here right. uh, playing here in this bar and right. playing you know around pittsburgh and and down in morgantown and and part of that was because people were touring but part of it is like this is a hotbed for seriously talented musicians i mean roger horde is from this area he taught brad paisley to play guitar you know i played with some of the greatest musicians i've ever known in my life here and i they were in my bands you know (laughs) so for me i got super lucky because i bumped into all these people 
You know, if you, I guess if you're growing up in like Montana and you got like a stop sign right. and one bar and some guy named Joe that goes there and, and plays drift away three times a night, probably should move to Nashville. But right. for me, it was a little bit different. And yeah. I'm really lucky because I do like it here. It's a beautiful part of the world and great people. And so I ended up in Nashville a year ago full time, like living there because I got a staff writing gig uh, with Lord and Thorne. Awesome. And that was interesting. So that's kind of how I ended up there. But I've been there on and off for a few years, I guess, is the question that you asked. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about, other than your music side, too, we'll get into that, but talk about a little bit about the production. So, like, I was just down in Nashville when you were down there and kind of... Yeah, working on got, Chelsea Love's record, yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. And it was, uh, I actually got to go into the studio for a little while with you guys. And It's sweet, isn't dude, it? It was that, so awesome. We were in Curb, too, which was cool to <laughs> yeah. walk into a place like that. Absolutely, yeah. Just really for me it was a really cool moment because i hadn't had a lot of experience like that i'm glad so. you enjoyed it i mean yeah. I, it's a that's a cool studio yeah that's a vibey place too yeah i try to find those vibey places as you can tell but yeah, yeah. that's a great room yeah. and she crushed it that was a cool yeah. opportunity to see it was awesome i like working both sides of that like i like singing and i like working the production side of it too from that standpoint so yeah it's just interesting seeing all the ins and outs and how intricate it can be and how it can be just the the little inflection. You, you hear it. that little thing that just changes. It opens the whole record up, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's cool to do, especially when you have great. like that Dave, Dave's killer, killer oh, engineer. Dude, he was, it was, it was so fun watching him work. She was super nervous going in there. Cause, uh, she's really talented, but, uh, she was putting this stuff together and trying to get her in front of the right people. She was pretty nervous. And she walked in there as soon as she met Dave, she looks because this is going to be fine. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> You're like, He's I just know. super chill. It's like, I yeah. know. That's why I brought He's you. He's yeah. the most chill guy ever. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's let's then talk about uh, so let's talk about Red Dirt Revival. So let's talk about how the you being in Nashville kind of geared you towards more of that Americana and that Texas kind of sound, and to really embrace that music. And uh, we'll talk about you know that project you're working on now. Yeah. So sorry, my bad. <laughs> um, so Red Dirt Revival actually kind of started out of. Out of a few different things, we'll get to that in a second. Let me get tangled up in this chair. I'm sorry. I'm fidgety today. It's been a weird day. Um, I got into Texas country music because I was I was dating this girl who worked a lot of rodeos. She sold, like, tack and jewelry and stuff. And uh, I met this guy named Gary Parkhill who kind of ran in our circle. He became a very, very good friend of mine. But uh, we had just met. He came to a show, and I was playing a lot of bro country stuff. And I was really disenchanted with the whole musical climate and um i hated a lot of the stuff on the radio i thought it was crap but there was really i wasn't in a, i didn't have internet at my place you know I, I i didn't really have the means to search for anything i was really broke i wasn't traveling and i wasn't on the road trying to figure out when, when i did go on the road i was playing places they wanted me to play cover gigs and it wasn't what i wanted to do i was coming here every week i was playing the house bands so i was playing like old merle haggard songs which i loved but then someone would come up and ask us to play like she's country or something. And we did yeah, it. And like the guitar parts were fun, but I just yeah. thought it was kind of cheesy bullshit. And it was like, everyone was doing that. I was really disenchanted. And then one day Gary came up to me, we were at this bull ride. Um, I was helping my girlfriend set up stuff and he handed me this just stack of CDs and said, you know, take a listen to these. I think you'll really like this stuff. And it was like Wade Bowen and reckless Kelly and, Randy Rogers, Casey Donahue, Sean McConnell, uh, 
just the they're greats. good shit. Yeah. They're really good shit. And I and I had this old GMC pickup and I I spun I spun Resurrection maybe like four hundred times in that <laughs> car. Like I just loved that song and that record and listened to the Reckless Kelly stuff like Break My Heart Tonight was just really good. Not and, and I loved Casey's stuff. It was refreshing because it seemed honest. Yeah. Like it was kinda it's, more it's on the edge of the mainstream it's kind of on the edge of the mainstream yeah. but it like it's believable like yeah. i know casey's a rodeo guy so when he sings about it it's like i believe it you yeah. know i i know that it's not horse shit right and you know there's nothing wrong with fun music no there's know. nothing i there's i look at it like cars like you kind of need semis and you need ferraris you need all these different things yeah. but some of it just doesn't carry enough weight anymore and it's luckily i think the tides are turning on that but yeah, so that's how I got into, like, Texas country and some of the Americana stuff. And through that stuff, I realized, like, okay, if this is out there, there's got to be other shit. Right. So then I, I really dove into – I love words. I always loved reading, like, old writers, like, old Hemingway books and stuff. So I really loved that imagery. And that's where I found, like, Isbel yeah. and Sturgill. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, eventually Tyler Childers comes along. And some of these just insane – insane songwriters because i always thought that i was gonna have to go back to listen to like old bob dylan cds to find that stuff right which is cool and i love that stuff but there's nothing new about it. there's nothing to challenge you like i'd figured this shit out when i was 16 and now i'm you know 20 some years old and i was like i i want to find this but in a new way yeah and i was not nearly a good enough writer to do that myself and then you find Isbel and Sturgill and that, that stuff. And then I moved to Nashville to do a staff writing gig, and I'm writing all these kind of pop songs with people. And kind of, I, I enjoyed it. It was really good for me as yeah. a person and as a Helped writer. Grow. Helped me grow. And uh, I, I'm not ungrateful for that, and I wouldn't steer any way, anyone away from doing that. Uh, it's not really my speed, per se. I like to write by myself. Um, I like to write kind of a different style of music that comes out of that. But... Uh, while I was living there, my manager, Daryl, and business partner in Red Dirt Revival called me and said that he had met with Mark Anderson at Y108, and he'd kind of gotten into the Texas country stuff, too. Like, he loved it as well, and we always talked about it a lot and would always send songs back and forth. Yeah. So we were trying to figure out how to break into that kind of sound, and just wasn't really getting anywhere. And then uh, he went had lunch with Mark Anderson, and they're like, hey, we know that this is changing. We know something's different. Yeah. We know that Americana's a thing. Like, You cannot deny the success that people like Sturgill and Isbell and oh, Stapleton yeah. and these guys that aren't doing what everyone else is doing, they're having success yep. and majorly having yep. success. The Texas country guys are breaking out of Texas and selling out huge venues. You know, They wanted to try this, so... He asked me, Daryl called me that day after they had this lunch meeting. He said, Dave, would you want to host this show? You're the only guy that knows anything about this, and Mark needs a guy that knows something about it. We would start the show and then syndicate it and do it, and it could be our thing. They would just syndicate it to their station. And I, it was an immediate yes for me because it's like as terrifying as that sounds to do something I'd never done before. Right. I love this music. Right. I love this music. It's the all I listen to. Yeah, right. and if I had the ability – to get that to people that had never heard it before and get it to people that had to be relocated here for the oil and gas industry that yep. just, you know, they're they're having to fight for it and they're not getting any shows from these guys up here because of the way the market is. If I could be a part of that, yeah, yeah, I'll be that guy. Absolutely. Uh, for, I'm already trying to be that guy. I just don't have a platform, right. you know? <laughs> so give me a platform to do something with it. And yeah, so then, and that was last June, almost a year ago, and then... They started airing the show in January. So. so what, like, challenges did you guys have, like, building that and starting it? Did you run into any roadblocks or anything? 
It was weird. I mean, our biggest roadblocks were kind of, I wouldn't, we didn't run into a lot of roadblocks with Red Dirt Revival per se. I mean, we're kind of fighting the tide right now, swimming upstream a little bit, but I I think that that's turning. And I think that the response that we're getting from the people that we're getting it from is crucial and important and the intention that we're getting is really good. So we're, it's definitely an uphill battle, but I will say for the past year, every month has been significantly better than the last and the shit that's happening doesn't happen. Right. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah. And I'm blown away by it. I wake up some days and I'm like exhausted and depressed and like, because I'm an artist, but right. really in reality, when I look at all of these things, it's like, this never goes this easy. Like you've been doing this for 10 years and full time since I was a kid. It's the only job I ever had was in music. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, you get a phone call and then every month from there on gets better. Right. And every opportunity comes in front of you. Like, yeah, maybe it doesn't have a financial return yet, but people are starting to like call you yep. and you're getting messages on Instagram of how people fell in love with this music and they hated what country radio has been doing. And like, that keeps you going, man. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. So it's, I really, I don't want to be like, oh man, yeah, it's been all butterflies and stuff because it really hasn't. But when the Red Dirt Revival, whenever they said that there was a process to getting the station to syndicate it and they were getting bought out by Intercom at the time, CBS was selling their stations off. So that was a little bit of a hiccup and I was really nervous because I'd had so many things just like get right there and then Not, fall off. Right. So that was kind of weird. But some for some reason, ever since he gave me that, phone call i got the phone call from daryl about it my gut was just like this is the thing this feels like it this just makes sense it just makes sense it was really weird it's the music i love it gives me a platform for my music it gives me a platform to share the music that i love with people because it's always been a conflict for me like do you work as a promoter or do you work as an artist there was never i never understood the promoter side of it so i just played as an artist and i'd cover songs that i loved and tried to spread my music and other people's music that i love to um to people that were listening, you know, to try to maybe if I could get the people that were coming here that were used to top 40 to listen to what I was doing, then right. they would find Wade Bowen and they would find Jason Isbell and they would find all these people that they weren't hearing because they've got 40 hour work weeks, 80 hour work weeks. Sometimes they don't have the time nor the down. energy to track this stuff down. Yep. Like that's my job, man. So when the radio show opportunity came, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to try that. And then it just happened. It was really weird. Crazy. Yeah. Like for me, it's really cool. And it's, it's neat because in radio, those, those plays are so hard to get for artists. Right. Yeah. So having that and hopefully it gets even bigger and bigger and goes to more markets and gets more and more spins. I hope so. And you get those guys that aren't getting their due, you know, and that's kind of why we do raise rowdy. Like we're trying to work not just the red dirt, but all kinds of the country music, the guys that just aren't getting the spotlight, they're not getting their due. And that's why I love it. Like, that's why I feel like kind of connected to that, like what you're doing, because it's so like, you're getting these guys that have been overlooked for so long. And that style of music has been overlooked for so long and not heralded outside of certain areas, but it's some of the best music that's been coming out in music period, let alone country music. And you're getting results, and you're starting to see it grow. And so it's really cool for me to see from an outside perspective. It's funny that it has this energy about it. You see, like you see people light up when they find it. You yeah. see, like, son of a bitch. Like I didn't realize people like emoted in music anymore. Yeah. You know that people had this energy about it or this 
passion or whatever you want to call it. I don't, I don't know. It's like it lost some form of weight yeah. at some point in time and never came back. And then people just kind of gave up on it. So they come get hammered yeah. and they sing cruise. <laughs> right. And you know, I'm not saying like, I hate that stuff. I really do, but I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. I think there's room for all of it. That's it. And I agree with that. The the music, I, I like all kinds of country music, right? I yeah. like stuff that's poppy. I like stuff that's, you know, Americana. I like everything, but there's something to be said for that slow, sad song about yeah. heartbreak. You know what I mean? And I think that's what the roots of country music really are. Yeah, for you, sure. But there's just like a, a lyrical weight to it. I mean, if you, yeah. I mean, she doesn't even, I don't even know. Like, I agree. I love sad music. Yeah. If you could get in the car with me and drive like for eight hours, you're like, dude, like, come on. I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to jump out of this car yeah. voluntarily. <laughs> we, I'm not even going to regret it. We have song, <laughs> yeah. a thing that says sad songs make me happy. And yeah. Like our says, crew says that. Well, it's cathartic. Know? Yeah. It's cathartic. Absolutely. I mean, but then you have like Super 8 Motel. Like, I don't want to die in a Super 8 Motel. That song is hilarious. Right. It's a great party song. Yep. But lyrically, like, who uses the word brandishing in a song? Like, brandishing a coffee cup? Like, yeah. okay, bro. Only the best. Yeah. yeah. Only the best. <laughs> only the best. Yeah. I was really excited because I got convoluted in a song the other day. Yeah. And I, was, I was like, man, I got convoluted in a song. She's going to send Isabel a tweet. Yeah. Hey, man. Hey, bro, you ever get convoluted in there? He's like, then he just texts you back, Ben Dozaiazepine. Fuck off, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, we'll, we hit on that. And I think musically, one of the things that I think Red Dirt can do is open that country market back up to a lot of people that haven't been listening to it. You know what I yeah, mean? People yeah. that kind of, as you were when you were younger, are kind of disconnected from the mm-hmm. music. I think that the more you get that style of music out to fans, there's a ton of fans that like country music, maybe more now than ever, but there's certain country music fans that just are so disenchanted with what's happening. And I think the service that you're providing and, and the internet also as well, people being able yeah. to search it out themselves is kind of, the backbone of being able to try to get those people back into, you know, the music that they fell in love with when they were I young. I hope so. Like, I, yeah. I hope so. I mean, if you walk in there and hear what they're playing, the jukebox, like, it hasn't changed for 40 years, and, and right. the, but they're playing the good shit. And then now, now finally, like, they're playing Tyler Childers in there, and they're playing Jason Isbell in the jukebox right next yep. to Hank. And that's something that's special. Yeah. And I hope that that's what it does. Like, I hope so. I mean, you never know. And I mean, not, the, the gave, machine's a hell of a your, thing. You're giving it your best shot, man. You know what I mean? That's what it's about. Trying, yeah. doing your best. Have small audacity about it. Like it you there. do it. A lot of people, I know a lot of people that just do it to find success. And I don't care for that. I could do a lot of other things. So right. if this isn't going to work, then I'll go do something else. And right. that's not giving up. It's just, it's just the reality of what this is. And I honestly never thought I was going to have this much of a shot. Yeah. You know, I was fine with taking a really good shot at this till I was 30 and then going, okay, go do a publishing gig write the songs it'll be like a job but it's better than swinging a hammer right and then go golf or go fishing you know do your thing just songwriting could be a job that's fine and i had the opportunity to do that and i was already kind of falling into that groove playing the gigs i wanted to play where the gigs went from being what i paid my bills to to fun for a while it's like i'm gonna go play gigs and i don't give a shit if anybody's listening i'm gonna play different days i'm gonna play uh, Sturgill songs. I'm going to play stuff that I really, really like, and I don't give a damn if I ever get the gig again, and I don't care if anybody likes it. I'm just going to play the songs I want to play. that's what you want to play? Yeah. And then one day it just changed. It just completely changed, and it was like, 
really like a godsend. It was crazy yeah. how it happened. But so let's talk about the the concert series a little bit that you guys have coming up up out here in Washington, yeah, Pennsylvania, Wild Things Park, yeah. So for me, being a Texas country music fan as well, yeah. and uh, we started getting a few shows here or there, kind of up at like Jurgles and Aaron Watson did come by, and we get Josh Abbott, but it's very few and far between. And it yeah. was usually it's just the one act. Maybe they'd have an opener with them. It depends on the show. Um, and then it's sometimes that, you know, it just depends on the act, how well it built out. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. So with the show and with this concert series, I think it's, it's really cool because I think it's going to really open the doors for a lot of these people that are used to maybe more of the mainstream shows and they come out and they make it to one of these, or maybe one of their friends make it to one of the shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the word I think can spread organically. Well, like one there. in 10 people probably, you know, know about it. Yeah. And then they're going to bring their nine buddies because they want to come drink yep. beer and party. Right. And it's like a $35 ticket right. to come have an outside concert. Like people love that shit, you know, just, yeah. they just love the atmosphere of that. Right. And then coinciding with that, they can find music. And like, I kind of made the sponsor joke because I've never been that guy, but right. honestly, <laughs> like people, you know, like, like Hydra Edge and Halliburton have really helped make, make that thing. possible. Right. First of all. And second of all, they've helped us bring in a platform because of the people that work for them to draw people to these shows. And I think the more you get, the more you get. So, you know, if you get a thousand people, you get 2000 people and right. you know, 2000 people come, then you're sold out. You, right. you can sell out. So, um, yeah, I, I think it, it can open the door for people to find this, to find what they do when they come here to hear a cover band or come to a bar to hear a cover band or go see Florida Georgia lines. Like most people don't go like, I really don't want to slam people here, but actually, I don't fucking care. Um, I don't think people really go to see stuff like that because of the music. I think they go. I think they go for a couple different reasons. One, I think they go for a party. Two, I think they go for an image. You know, some people are attracted to some of this pop stuff because of an image. Some of the music's good. They knew, some of it's good. Some of it yeah. sucks. Some of it really sucks. And I don't care calling people. I was reading an interview about Isbel talking about that the other day. Yeah. About He's like, I think if you call people out on it, that they might go, wait a minute, there's something else. And then you can't deny, like, I remember playing Isbel for my little brother the first time, who was 15 years old. And I played for him when he was like 13. You know, he had no idea this stuff existed. And it blew his mind. He's 13 years old. You know, what about a 22-year-old has been listening to Florida Georgia Line for, you know, five years? And not, like I said, not there's anything wrong with that, right. but I think it's a different thing. Yeah. I don't think it's the same. I, I think people need art from people like Sturgill and Isbel, you know, and then they go to a Florida Georgia Line concert because they want to drink beer and they want to scream and get rowdy. Like, I'll totally freaking do that. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I love to party. I love it. Yeah. And I'll go to a concert, but I'm not going there for the music. That's an atmosphere. They're selling an atmosphere. They're selling a party. It's like going to a massive frat house and let's throw down, you know, but you're not going to Heinz Hall to like have your soul spoken to. But these two things can go together. Yeah. And, and that, I think it speaks to how vast the genre has become, right? Yeah. And there's so many different sections of it. And yeah. Personally, absolutely. again, I don't have anything against Florida Georgia Line. <laughs> you know, like I go to their shows, you know. I've been to a couple of yeah. them for sure, I yeah. Mean, so for me, I, I think that there's a time and a place for everything, right? And I think in my head that those kinds of music, I would agree, though. That's the music I listen to in the summer. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, like, no, dude, I love it. When I'm on I a road it. trip, that's not the stuff I'm listening to, you know. Yeah, like I'm listening 
to you know Ryan Bingham and I'm listening uh, to yeah. you know stuff like that, or I'm listening to the hardcore songwriter stuff. You know? Yeah, I mean it's all there. I mean yeah. that's the but the thing I love about the Red Dirt thing, which ties back to your question because sometimes I ramble a lot, but yeah. if you go see Wade Bowen at somewhere like the Wild Things Park, really anywhere, but if you go see you know if you come to the Aaron Watson show and you see Roger Krieger, like there's there's weight to it. But it's the same atmosphere. Yeah. It, it has both things. Yeah. And I think that scares a lot of people. Right. And I think, I, I, think it, I think it scares people that know that this could ruin them. <laughs> and, I, and I think that people that find it latch onto it so hard because they love both of those things. They love going to a concert and getting hammered and partying. And, and that's fun. Like, you're with your buddies. And it's like, it's like you get to go back to high school and, and you're like, I had a weekend like this in Nashville. I got to hang out with friends and just really enjoy myself for the first time in a long time and listen to music that I loved. Yeah. If you can put those two things together again, because they haven't been together, they become an, almost antithetical to one another. If you could put them back together, which I think they belong together, but they don't have to exist together. They can be both. Yeah. But if you could put it together, something magic happens. And that's what happened to me. You know, I remember the first time I saw Wade Bowen. I was like, <laughs> my mom took me to see Wade Bowen. I like, like I had never seen him live. I just listened to his records because he was in Texas, right. and he played in like Columbus on my birthday. My mom took me out there and didn't tell me what was going on. It was Randy Rogers and Wade Bowen? Hold oh, my beer, man. watch this tour. That's amazing. And she bought me beer, and I got to sit and stand in front row and just like watch these guys. And I'm a music junkie, so I'm impressed by the gear and the guitars and all this shit. But at the same time, like these are my people, yeah. and we're all partying because we love this music. So I, I actually, because I always kind of felt like an outcast at a Florida Georgia Line concert. I just go there, get hammered, right? You know, have the party. Yeah, unless it was Eric Church, he was like the only mainstream guy I could ever really, really enjoy myself out. But it was the first time those things just like lined up together, and it's like, oh shit, this blew my mind. It yeah. was crazy. It was so good. It wasn't sold out. I mean, there was like three hundred people in a in a seven hundred person place. Yeah, it was so cool. Let's talk about some of the acts you have coming up. So for, so for the shows, I got Aaron Watson on May 19th with Roger Krieger and I'm opening that show as well. Awesome. In June, I think it's June 16th. Um, June 16th, we have Pat Green, Dalton Domino and Cody West, which is sweet. Cause I love Dalton. Domino. I, I love all love three it. of those guys, yeah, but Dalton too. Domino is a freaking monster. And I've never seen Dalton and I'm super excited. Yeah. About Dalton's well. badass. Yeah. We, Dan and I found Dalton's record a few months back and literally like the next week we already put two two of his songs into the set list and it was, <laughs> yeah. it was pretty quick Dude, he's great yeah, yeah. I, I mean i just same thing when i heard of, i think i heard jesus and handbag bags yeah, first, jesus and, and handbags like, yeah oh, for dallas corners <laughs> yeah. like, record was actually one of the best records really i good. think of the past five years and then uh in july we have jack ingram and um co wetzel which will be fun to maybe like get to party with Co Wetzel because yeah. I hear he's fun. It's <laughs> the a, funnest guy. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah, I hear. The funnest guy. That's what I hear. And then yeah. in July we are opening. We're playing this. We're playing the one, the one in August. I mean, August eighteenth is um, us, William Clark Green, Ray Wiley Hubbard, and Wade Bowen. That's so that's going to be the party of the century. Yeah, uh, that's going to be a freaking blast. At least for me, even if nobody shows up, I'm going to have a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> we're going to drink a lot and. And, uh, party for sure. Music. Yeah, maybe smoke some stuff. I don't yeah. know. We'll just if Ray Wiley Hubbard's there, it's probably gonna happen. We're just gonna buy a van. Yeah, <laughs> just gonna call it the hot box van. And <laughs> you're not gonna be able to see when you get in there. And then in September, it's us. It's a uh, 
my, me and my guys, uh, Shane Smith and the Saints and Eli Young band. So. Love Shane Smith too. Dude, yeah. yeah. And, of and Eli, Eli Young, yeah. yeah Eli Young's Eli Young's one of the bands that's probably never stepped away from that, like separating the two yeah. emotions to party because it's been kind of both. For well, them. and he's probably one of the ones that's had the most mainstream country success. I'd say so, probably of those guys. both of those guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean they. Yeah, I'd say that. Yeah, I mean Jack Ingram had a spell. Absolutely, had yeah. a spell. Yeah, yeah. but it, they it, just kept going with it. You know. Yeah. So I think that's great. I mean, I'm super excited for those shows, as you know. Yeah. Just. uh, We got a week. Oh, man. So awesome. I know. I was excited. We just got, we just got for Rage Rowdy, we got a a, a good chunk of our crew going and trying to talk even more into coming Mm, in. It's going to be Throughout the summer, too, because I have friends from all over the place, Ohio and stuff like that. We're going to become really good friends over the summer because I feel like we're going to have to coincide on who's going to DD who home. Yeah. (laughs) I'm already looking at hotels. Yes, we're going to hire a guy. Yeah. (laughs) We need an intern. For what for? So. Can they drive a car? Yeah. (laughs) And then let's talk about, um, basically, let's get into your new music. Oh, yeah. Half about women. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh. Jackson's got a new album coming out, and he's releasing the first three songs for us here. Uh, May 18th. I don't know May when 18th. this is coming out, but it's coming out. The record's coming out on May 18th, so this might come out before then. It'll come out before. Or, yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Great. So yeah. May 18th. Yeah. Pre-order and, uh, it or add it to your playlist, whatever yeah, you do. Yeah, so let's talk about like how you got to these tracks and what, what, how this music is different from stuff that you've done before. I wasn't – I didn't have to answer to anybody. I've been in a lot of kind of deals here and there. Um, I had a lot of time to write this record because I took a step back from everything. I had the staff, staff writing gig, and I just wrote music. And then I finally kind of found my sweet spot musically, yeah. like as a person and as an artist at simultaneously, which was cool. Um, so I just kind of wrote what I wanted to write every day. Um, I wrote by myself a lot, and I was going through a lot of crazy shit in my life. And I confronted a lot of, like, as you get to be this age, you start to confront that shit. And yeah. I luckily had this outlet where I got to confront it musically, which was really cool. And I was surrounded by insanely good songwriters every day. That was the best part of the Stafford. Like, Bernie Nelson and Dave Gibson and, you know, Larry Alderman and Philip Douglas, Dave Panish and, you know, Ford Thurston. These guys were around me in the midst of all this. Right. Which, like, a lot of guys don't have that where they have all this stuff going on and then 10 years later they get to write songs about it because that's when they meet those guys. But yeah. I had them there and they were like, they really helped me through that. And I got to write some killer stuff, which I didn't even really know the record was going to happen. I wanted to do it really bad. Yeah. I got the phone call about Red Dirt Revival that it was confirmed in August in October. Uh, Bernie Nelson had talked to Philip about work with me and some management for a few months and doing a record and, and Philip had called me and said, Hey, do you want to do a record? And, you know, we'll pitch you some labels and stuff after we cut a demo. And I said, I don't really know if I want a deal or not, but I mean, I'm happy to see what's out there. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to be independent. And then I had, you know, I went to get breakfast with a friend one day, um, who had helped me out with some projects before. And he just said, Hey, here's a wad of cash, go do it. <laughs> and, uh, it was over breakfast and, yeah he so i the whole everything like in three days i found out rendered revival was going to be picked up by y108 mm-hmm. and that there was going to be a concert series then philip called me and talked about bernie convincing you know talking to him about the project you know and then the money fell on the table and then everything had just happened yeah and and it just happened you know so we put we're putting three songs out and 
you know, on the 18th, yeah. and then six to nine more over the summer because we're still recording the rest of it. So cool. I wanted to wait till it was all done, and then the concert series happened, and yeah. it was like, well, let's just these are done. Let's put them out. Let's put out these three, and just and I sent them to you, and, and people have seemed to like them. So yeah. I kind of went crazy with the production and just did it a little differently and had fun with it, made it kind of stonesy and raw and um. I guess it's Americana. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I think one of the things that, and one of the things we talk about my crew friends and the people that we work with on Raise Rowdy is kind of the stuff that sometimes falls in the cracks, right? So it might mm-hmm. not have a defined genre mm-hmm. or it might not have a defined sound or maybe you don't know which station you'd hear it on the radio. Would it be NPR or would it be, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, would it be yeah, maybe both, know, yeah. exactly like <laughs> that? What is it? And that's one of the things that we like to champion is yeah. the stuff that's maybe, it's too rock for country. It's too folk for country. It's too yeah. song, singer songwritery for mainstream. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's one of the things that we like try to seek out. So when I heard it, when you sent it to me and I was like, dude, I love this. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. I, cause I didn't care. Yeah. Right. I, I want, I want people to like it and right. if people like it. That's fine. But I finally got this point in my life where I didn't give a shit. Right. You're going to make, didn't care if a label make. picked it up. I've sent it to labels. Some of them didn't get it. Right. It's fine. I don't care. I'm not bitter about it. I'm not resentful about it. I just wanted to make a record that I loved that I could put my personality in my vocabulary, really put my vocabulary in, which can be colorful and complex at times and, and put everything I love musically in it. So that's been special to be able to think that when I, whenever we got the tracks back, like we, you know, we tracked it at benchmark and I was like, okay, this is really cool. I really, really love this, but I was scared because we had everyone in this room for a day working on these songs that I really loved. And, didn't really know where it was going but then when i got him back i i didn't know if it was going to turn out the way i wanted it to i wasn't right. really worried about what people thought about it because right. it was kind of my last like i'll Dude just host heck. a radio show for the rest of my life yeah this doesn't work <laughs> yeah <laughs> sure whatever and it came back and people have, so far have seemed to respond to it so i hope it catches on i yeah. I, I like the fact that you think it falls between the cracks because i kind of steer away from it being like this thing or this thing i don't yeah. want to ever be agreed upon ever i don't want anyone to be able to say he's that or pin me it's, i'd probably run away from any ideas like that as crazy as it is that's the stuff i end up enjoying the most is the stuff that mixes stuff right i think it's what well, it's unique though isn't yeah. it i mean that's like the like where why did we lose this individuality in music you know yeah. isn't it supposed to be an expression of an individual Yep. Isn't it? I mean, I, am I wrong in saying that? I mean, you could ter- literally turn on top 40 and sometimes I don't realize that it's two different people, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, even vocally, they sing, they sound the same, you know, yeah. I mean, the voicing, it's all the same guitar guys playing on each record and, you know, they're not really playing stylistically different. Yeah. I mean, and there's, there's a lot of stuff that's out there that's, that I'm into like Eric Dillon's new album mm-hmm. that just came out man I'll tell you what I haven't listened to it it's yet. it's awesome it so you're, I'm gonna have to send you know, it to me it. Or yeah. just remind me yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh got like Ashley McBride's album man. <sighs> she's great she's, she's really great she's so great <laughs> and stuff like that to me she actually sounds like a female Eric Church oh man she's so great like I love I her it's awesome her song Andy that she sings about her guitar player is one dive of the, bar and and uh why am I yeah. oh, oh, oh. I'll tell you what. If you so haven't good. listened to Andy, you need to listen to it. It's a it's a love song about someone she's not in love with, but it's a love song that sounds like she's in love with them. Oh, and, and she's not at all. 
but it's that type of relationship. And she, they live together and we're roommates and we're so intertwined and it just has so much power. That it's I kind of wrote like a that, really. song like that, that Alabama. Yep. Yeah. That yeah. You just put out yeah. It's not, like, it's a weird, yeah. It's like this intense relationship with somebody that it sounds like a love song, but it's, yeah. it's not. Yeah. It's just, this was like, I, a few months ago went through some shit and I was exhausted and it's just like, you have these people that you lean on in this way and it seems like a love song but it's it's not but it's got a lot of that in there yeah. you know but yeah i haven't listened to that one i'll have to check that yeah, out make sure you check that out too she's badass she's so she's badass. badass um do you want to break down the the tracks that you're putting out yeah we can break down the tracks so let's do it do you just want to you know talk, you talk through them about a little bit? yeah so we'll talk about what do you want? To, which one do you want to talk Would about you, first? Little you ask crazy. me. You want to talk about Little Less Crazy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just so get Little right Pass to that. Crazy is cool because <laughs> I wrote that with Farron Rachels, who you know. Yep. Farron Rachels and Rob Crosby, and Rob Crosby's yep. a freaking madman. I mean, he, the guy's unbelievable. Looks like a good sandwich, Dan. Dan's eating a sandwich. <laughs> People are like, "Who's this guy? Like, why is he like not doing the interview?" Um, it's a Little Pass Crazy. It's it's a true story, but um, I had this old Dodge Neon, and my dad and I shared it. And that was kind of my commuter, and I had to go on the road. That's what I told everybody. And uh, realistically, I was just on a bender because I had lost the love of my life and was, like, totally distraught about it and couldn't figure it out. And I was 22 and an alcoholic, and I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. But uh, I was just figuring stuff out and realizing that you can't just be an asshole all the time. <laughs> you know, you figure yeah. that out at some point in time. So as you get to a certain yeah, age, yeah. So that I kind of yeah. and I'd, I'd I'd lost something that was really special to me, and I didn't realize it till it was too late. And I got in the car and I started driving, and I, I took a notebook as as I do everywhere, and I just wrote a lot of things down, and I didn't look at it for probably two years. And uh, I went back and started looking through these just old notes, and just this was writing letters to this girl and to myself, and just kind of putting all these things together. And I drove all across the country in this old Dodge Neon. I slept in it. You know, I went to Key West. I went to Arizona, like all the way to Cal. Like, I drove all over the country in this freaking piece of shit Dodge Neon. And it's amazing it didn't break down. It actually broke down the day after I came back. <laughs> and uh, She knew she did her job. Yeah, she yeah. did. She did. It was really funny. I was on my way to a radio interview. That's neither here nor there anyway. That's a funny story. But So I had this notebook, and I was sifting through there, and I tried to write this song because I always write from a dark perspective because I'm, like, really into Ryan Adams and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I tried to write it called I'm Way Past Crazy, and it was, like, from this, like, perspective of all these dark notes of how I feel really shitty about all of the things that I did wrong but I've realized the error in my ways and I'm trying to fix that, right? But I couldn't get anywhere with it, it for months. I tried, I wrote it with like six different people and I couldn't get anywhere. And then I went to Nashville on one of my trips. I was there for a while, a couple months. Yeah. And I, it was my first like big write and Farron walked in and Rob walked in and it was, Farron was starting to get some smoke as a writer at the time. It was right before she signed to CTM. And Rob comes in and Rob looks like Jackson Brown and he's one of the most badass people, coolest people you ever met too, but he's just got an aura about him. As a, like the, he, the guy walks in a room, and you know he's a songwriter, and you know he's a damn good songwriter. Yeah. And uh, he sits down, and I s- throw ideas at him, throw an idea, and he shoots every one of them down, and my ego is just plummeting <laughs> by the second. Yeah. And I said, well, I have this idea called Way Past Crazy, and he shot it down too. And he's like, well, what's – so he starts asking me, like, what are behind these ideas? He's like, which one of these means the most to you? And so I told him the story behind Way Past Crazy. And he said, well, 
he's like, well, what all is in that notebook? And I had it with me. And he, he said, well, like, is there an upside to this? He's like, did you feel better after that trip? Like the point was to heal. Right. Yeah. And I said, yeah. And I was like, I absolutely did. I was like, I remember driving through Denver and I was, and, and I was like picking up the phone to call her and I, I didn't hit send. You know, I, I, I remember like actually listening to music that I couldn't listen to or changing the channel out of bothering me and like actually having these healing moments. And he's like, dude, let's write, I'm That's a little past crazy on the upside of it. And yeah. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be such a negative asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just started playing that like Lindsey Buckingham, California rock lick that, and um, I always loved Lindsey Buckingham and he was playing on that for sure. And yeah, so that's how it came. was all Rob for sure. For awesome. sure. Yeah. He crushed that one. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about shoe don't fit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, shoe don't fit. It's, it's a perfect, uh, sonic image of my sarcastic personality, (laughs) but also my realistic vision of what I think a common problem in the world today is, but it's kind of like, I think people sometimes might take it a little bit too seriously because this, there's a line in there that says snow white should have probably ate some gluten. Well, like two days after I wrote that song, I got diagnosed with like a gluten intolerance. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. It was ironic, you know, so I just left it in there. It's funny. Um, no, I, th- I think sometimes I don't even really know how to explain it. I was with Lisa Luria and we were just kind of bitching about life in the world and kind of complaining how everybody wants golden nuggets to fall from the sky and there's a calm there's a lot of weird issues politically in the world and everyone talks about rights but no one talks about responsibility and uh as deep as that gets and it's a comical song but honestly yeah. like uh, the political atmosphere is crazy and no one really like everyone wants to talk about how they they want these rights or these rights or these rights and they'll go protest but their room's a mess you know yeah, yeah. and it was kind of my stab at like you know, clean up your part of the world before you try to fix the rest of it. I know that sounds like way too deep for this comical song where I'm calling, you know, making fun of fairy tales, but it's true. It's reality. I just happen to, you know, right now I'm getting deep about it, but I happen to think that way a lot. I, I hate virtue signaling. I think sometimes the social justice warrior movement's a crock of shit because a lot of people that go protest don't you know they're pointing calling someone an asshole when they don't have their life together like their room's a mess you know and it happens on both sides of the fence i don't yeah i am the most middle of the road probably political person ever and i'm not just saying that if you ask anybody i'm i'm pretty far down the middle (laughs) you know i (laughs) And I'll speak my mind about it. I'm not mad about going viral and people being pissed off if I have some crazy idea. I just, I think she don't fit was just me. I remember sitting in the room with Lissa and her just, her and I connecting, like really connecting on these ideas of like, she was figuring some stuff out and I was telling her some experiences and helping her with that and vice versa. We were going back and forth and we were just really hitting off. It was the first time we met. And I said, well, let's just write about these things that piss us off. Cause we had bonded over things that we hated about society and you know that i don't remember who said sometimes a shoe don't fit it's like wishing whales just take your money and cinderella should have got a job <laughs> that's the truth yeah. you know ever some people complain that they can't get a job when they studied feminist dance studies in college yeah. like, well 
I appreciate what you're doing and that's cool, you know, but realistically, if you want to get a job and you're going to get a degree, maybe it should be in engineering, right? Yeah. I, it, I mean, I, yeah. I had the or dumbest you, degree. I, I, I went to school for music. Like yeah. I, what, <laughs> I made the major. same dumb decisions, like, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's one of those things where I think that sometimes we have to be real, real with our, ourselves yep. first. Like sometimes you just got to look in the mirror and go, okay, like I need to check myself before I go check other people and yeah. then put these things together and like you can look at that funny like sometimes people don't have a sense of humor about themselves and that's kind of my idea because yeah. honestly like everything in that song like I have a gluten intolerance it's freaking hilarious yeah. that that happened it's freaking hilarious <laughs> right after you're you know it. and like, then you're like I'm cutting this for sure yeah I'm yeah. totally <laughs> freaking cutting this yeah. and then you know the whole uh the beast was just a dick like you know in, in Beauty and the Beast if you yeah. don't get the reference but um it's just this idea that you know, sometimes people go chase the wrong people and they try to make a project out. I was like, well, sometimes just not that. Like, sometimes you got to realize that just be real with yourself. I love my favorite line in the whole song is Sleeping Beauty was probably just a junkie and her prince was a paramedic. <laughs> it's my personal favorite. Yeah. But I enjoy that part. As well. Yeah. It's funny, right? Yeah. You know, it's like we we've built our society a lot on these archetypes. And I think there's a lot in those archetypes. I really do. I think like there's important things to these fairy tales that we tell, but I think we look at it from the wrong perspective. And that's a lot of what it was. It's like, these stories aren't horse shit in the sense of like the hero's journey of how you're supposed to find yourself in life. But our culture has become so surface about the way that we look at things. We interpret it as I deserve this. And that's not the case. Life ain't fair and the world is mean. Sturgill Simpson. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, I got bitter and resentful about my career because people weren't listening to what I had to say. And I had to come to terms with the fact that I may never have extreme success as an artist doing it the way that I was doing it. And I'm still doing it that way because I decided that I wanted to do it this way. And if it didn't work out, I would be happier than if I sold out to do something that would work because I can play guitar and I can sing and I probably could cut a bro country record and I could probably get a record deal, but I don't want to do that. So I had to, there's, there's consequences and you got to pay for everything that you do. And that's kind of what it was from. I know that was probably way deeper than you thought it would, but yeah, Yeah. that's that's really where that came from. That was surprisingly a cathartic song for me to write. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And then we'll talk about shots fired. Shots fired. Yeah. So I don't have really an answer for that one. Okay. Um, I was at Scott Lindsay and, and Philip Douglas, and we were just at ASCAP one day, as you do as a staff writer, and you're going to write songs. And we were just writing for this project because we wanted more songs. And I, we, I wanted another rock song. And uh, we just started talking about, we just started playing these different guitar licks. And it didn't sound like that at all. It was like halftime. And the licks, it was like a chug. It was a completely different feel. And uh, But I had picked Little Past Crazy and You Don't Fit. And Philip said, trust me, let's cut shots fired. And I liked the lyrics. I yeah. thought it was cool. It's kind of, it's it's a, I love the melody. I knew it would be fun to play guitar on. It's kind of got a stonesy vibe to it. It's not super lyrically complex, but it, it has you can see a picture when you listen to it absolutely and it kind of reminded me of like playing here a lot and you know when the girl's giving you the eyes and you're flirting and that's the thing you know and and it kind of reminded me of that and i i loved the vibe of the song something and i just trust he's like we'll go in we'll track it 
if you don't like it, we'll can it and we'll cut something else. Cool. And I said, okay. So we went in there and I sat down with everybody and I said, I, this is what I want. Let's kick it up a couple notches in tempo. And I want this Keith Richards kind of slanky, slinky, sloppy guitar kind of thing going on. And James Mitchell freaking crushed it. <laughs> I love playing guitar on my records, but he like made this record like so good. And um, yeah, and it just came to life. And we did, I laid the scratch vocal down on it and we were sitting there listening back to it. And Philip said, what do you think? And I was like, I think it's my favorite song now on the record. <laughs> that dan I love that. It's I get excited to just play that that stupid chord lick every night. It's yeah. just fun. So yeah, it just kind of happened by mistake. It's awesome. So yeah, and there's six more songs on the record that maybe or nine, six that we'll get soon. Maybe yeah yeah hopefully yeah yeah I don't know. So make sure you guys are going out there and, and grabbing downloading it on half about women half about women. Jackson Gardner Jackson Gardner and uh, put it on your playlist too that's big stuff yeah man. add it to your playlist yeah. add it to your playlist Spotify, share iTunes. it with your friends yes i don't think people understand how big of a deal it is when they add when they download it to their phone not even paying i mean i understand people don't pay for music anymore and i've let go of that part of the world but uh yeah add it to your playlist add it to your public playlist share yeah. it with your friends yeah it's really super important it means it actually helps me sleep at night and i have bad insomnia i'm looking in the camera <laughs> <laughs> so well yeah. dude thanks, thanks for bro. sitting down i appreciate it absolutely man i'm really excited to have a fun summer of drinking and partying yes. and listen to our favorite artists together it's gonna be a hell of a lot of fun yeah i think make, it's gonna be great make sure you come see jackson play and raise rowdy tailgate yeah at, yeah <laughs> at the concert series all summer too. yeah red dirt revival <laughs> concert series washington wild things park in washington pa serviced by halliburton listen to red dirt revival on sunday nights at uh, nine o'clock on Y108. If you're not in the Pittsburgh area, you can get it on TuneIn or Radio.com. Uh, w WDSY Y108. Um, yeah, and Red shout. Yeah, yeah. Red Dirt Revival Twitter Instagram. Uh, it's it's red. It's at Red Dirt Revival on Twitter. At Red Dirt Revival Radio on Instagram. We're on Facebook. And my my Instagram is uh, at Jackson Gardner Music, and you can. Twitter's weird because I can't seem to get the name that I want on there. Uh, it's at Jackson T. Gardner, which T is my middle initial, which was part of, was on my records for a long time, and I decided to let go of that because it got, people thought I was named T. Garden, okay. so it got complicated. I had to work on my diction a lot <laughs> for that. But yeah, let's play some tunes. Let's do it, yeah. We're going to have Jackson play some jams, and uh, thanks to Thank you guys for listening, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah, it's fun. We'll have to do this again. Absolutely. We live too close together to not do ridiculous podcasts all the time together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next time, let's get wasted and do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have a job. You could. You might yeah, lose your job. Have to do it on a weekend. I'll <laughs> probably get yelled at about saying something, but it's fine. Yeah. It's cool. Let's do it. Let's cut some songs. You ready, Dan? Sleeping Beauty was probably just a junkie